there was one other young person like me and then three elders and we were standing in a small circle and we were just talking about our background and our interests and and I must have described what I wanted to do with my career and where I was going and one of the black women the elders stopped and just said you know you're never going to find a husband <laughs> and I just kind of stopped and I was just like well yeah it's hard Hey guys, real quick, Dr. Dale here. All right, so I want you guys to do me a favor. Before you start this episode, please hit that pause button and click subscribe or click follow or click like, whatever it is. We work really hard to bring you guys this good information to uplift the entire community. And we really appreciate you guys supporting our efforts and our work. Love you guys. Enjoy the episode. really quick disclaimer before we jump into this episode and it's a great episode you're gonna love it i do want to let you know that the audio is a little bit off because the software we were using had a little bit of a time lag issue and i thought about asking our phenomenal guest to redo the whole thing but it was just so amazing and so authentic that i didn't want to waste this content and i wanted to let you guys hear it in its original take you're gonna love it enjoy it what is up family it's dr dale the author of how to raise a doctor wisdom from parents who did it author of black men and white coats author of pre-med mondays and the doctor doc children series and of course listen to the black men and white coats podcast the place where black clinicians have the platform to share their stories with listeners like you man oh man super excited about today's guest i can't tell you how excited i am about her right so we've got another black woman in a white coat today super excited about this and when, when we get into it, you guys are gonna hear all about her you're gonna know why this is such a big episode probably a legendary classic epic episode and um and i'm honored to be able to be a part of bringing this to you today before i introduce her uh just a quick reminder black men and white coast documentary is coming out it's gonna drop february 1st we moved the data from february 8th to february 1st because we got all of our legal clearances and all that stuff taken care of and also the black men and white coast youth summit so we're having the virtual black men and white coast youth summit february 13th I'm going to put the link somewhere down below. Make sure you click on that link, register for it. It's all free. Come have a good time. We're doing our best to have some sort of impact on the community, all right? All right, now let me get into this introduction. Super excited. Today we've got Dr. Cameron Matthews. I'm not going to do all the accolades and such, but when we get to talking, you guys are going to know that she is the real deal, and I mean the real deal. Dr. Cameron Matthews, MD, JD, probably too many other letters after her name in terms of accolades that I care that I can go through, but... Man, let me just welcome her on. Dr. Matthews, how are you? Hey, Dr. Dale. How are you doing? I'm good. Man. This is so uh, exciting. I, like, I'm just really excited to be connected because I feel like we haven't done enough together, but this is great. I agree. And, and so for, for the, um, the listeners' background, so Dr. Matthews, along with you know, um, Dr. Landry and some other people, you know, they run Tour for Diversity. You've probably heard of Tour for Diversity. And um, you know, that's been over a decade now. And, you know, I, I remember the first time that we talked to you, I talked to you back when I was in North Carolina, still mm-hmm. when I was a resident. Mm-hmm. And that was a long time ago. And it's just been great just watching all the great stuff you guys have been doing. And not just in tour for diversity. Actually, you know what? Hold on. 
let me start. I'm so excited. I'm talking fast <laughs> and such. I feel like I'm start. I, I feel starstruck. No, please. <laughs> I feel the same. You have a documentary coming out, man. No, okay, yeah. yeah. Let me slow back because I was about I was about to tell your whole story before we even got into the into the into the you know the podcast. So so okay, let's let's give the listeners what they want to know, right? Okay. So Dr. Matthews, mm-hmm. um, let, let's take it back to let's take it back to childhood, really. Childhood. childhood. Tell tell me a little bit about you know where where did you grow up? What part of the U.S. or yeah. world did you grow yeah. up? So I grew up in suburban Philly, um, immediate suburbs, not that Allentown, you know, like an hour away, like, you know, a couple blocks from the Philly line. Um, and, you know, had a wonderful suburban upbringing. My parents um, still live in the house that my sister and I grew up in and, you know, just really, really enjoyed uh, family life together. Um, and having a role model like my father, I've, I've written about it in other forums as well too. My dad is a family doc like I am, and I uh, mm-hmm. really looked up to him. Um, you know, he being one of the first in his family, if not the actual first to actually get to to college, and then of course changed his his mind about what he wanted to do. He went for engineering, was working for Philadelphia Electric Company and thought he wanted to be around people more and went back to night school and went and got into medical school. I mean, his story alone is worth telling uh, on a, a whole separate podcast, to be honest. All right. Okay. Hey, I'm going to have to ask you to get, get, get me your dad next time then. We'll have yep. to bring your dad on. Man, if I would have known that, we'd have done them both. We'd have done you guys together. That'd I know. Be nice. I know. The, the story that I tell all the time, of course, is growing up, I always wanted to, you know, walk in a room and someone says, Dr. Matthews, and we both say yes. And it happens all the time now. So, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> truly dreams come true, basically. Nice, nice. So, um, so I'm I'm not too familiar with uh Philadelphia. So you're gonna have to kind of give me an idea. Mm-hmm. What is the um you know, because every city has its own type of uh, I hate making too much I hate starting off with just race on the off right off oh, the back, yeah. but you know, it's a big part of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Every city has its own kind of um racial feel to it, right? Totally. Um so yeah, what is the what was the feel like where you grew up and how did that feel impact you as a, not as an adult, but as a child? How did it impact you and your development and your desire to be great? Oh, completely. Yeah. So what my my parents really sought out, and I think even what is currently occurring um, in the school district that I grew up in um, was an awfully, awfully diverse setting. I mean, I think my class was like 27, 28% Black, but then we had another 20% Jewish, another 15% Asian um it it was awfully diverse and then Philly you said you said your parents sought it out so yeah intentional they they essentially so they went to college in the city in Philly they went to Drexel that's where they met and then they were looking around and trying to choose what would be the best environment to raise their daughters in and so moved to Cheltenham knowing that it was going to be this and I guess at the time uh even before you know, we were going to grade school. It, it was it was quite diverse. So they chose that purposefully. They wanted us to be in the middle of a, a very diverse environment. They also wanted us to go to a very strong public high school. They were really not interested in getting us into to private school. So they chose it specifically. Yeah. All right, that's interesting. So what was the, uh, as a child, you know, what was the impact of that? Was it a good decision? Did, did it have oh, benefits or did it still come oh, with challenges? Absolutely. I mean, I honestly, um, grew up with, you know, a, a girlfriend circle, a, a best friend circle, you know, in elementary school that was that was crazy diverse, didn't really question race, didn't really um, question 
upbringing or background just because we were good friends. You know, my my circle of girlfriends that I grew up with, and we were all different races thinking back about it. Um, so, you know, I, I think when I first started, you know, asking questions about my own identity and race and everything, that was probably more kind of the middle school, junior high, when like a couple of our elementary schools started merging into the upper level schools. And that was when students who weren't part of I would say maybe more of our diverse sort of neighborhoods that my elementary school came from. There were more like totally white ones or totally black ones. And then ours was really mixed. So then we all came together to a very mixed, obviously, you know, group of people. But that was when people started questioning, oh, who's this light-skinned girl? I remember that like crazy getting questioned about because, you know, I had light-skinned long hair. And so that that was when I first started really maybe judging myself, judging others, seeing that there were differences, questioning my own identity, but then pushing back. I, <laughs> the best part, Dale, is I used to get in fights on the school what? all the time. Hold on, I would, come, hold on, hold on, hold on. I would come home with black eyes. I would come home with scratches. Are you serious? Yeah, because these kids was trying to question me. Like for <laughs> yeah, put them in check. I would I would start swinging because I'm like, you're not going to question me. I know who I am. You know, why are you getting in my face? Why are you trying to tease me? And I would get suspended. I would get detention. All this different stuff. And my parents would just look hey, like Cam, Cam, let me let me ask you. Are we okay? <laughs> Can we stay all this stuff on the podcast? You gotta so, so to the listeners. Dr. Matthews has a very high level position. <laughs> <laughs> not just in our institution, but in the you know the yeah. government system. It was elementary school. We... It was junior high. Like I'm good. I'm good. But no, no. Statu statues of limitation. Exactly, okay. exactly. There you go. You know, I'm not going to jail anytime soon. But you know, but my parents were actually trying to hold back laughter a lot of the times because I was still getting straight A's. I was still like top of the class. But throwing bows on the bus. <laughs> so, True, you got to be good in all. Like, you got to be good in all aspects. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? And and I I don't know at the time that I could explain it, but I'm I'm I've realized since then I was trying to you know define myself in this group of people, and I was like, you guys aren't going to tease me. You're not going to sit here and make me question myself, or you're not going to question me. I know who I am, and uh, yeah. So was it was it was it um. Black kids, white kids, who, who was it? It was, it, was black kids. it was the black kids. It, and that was the hard part. That was definitely the hard part. But that was also, you know, because the, you know, the white kids, they, no, I don't feel like the white kids tease me. No, it's the black kids. Uh, yeah. So they, they would tease you because you were light-skinned. So would they say you were white? They were trying to say I was white. They were trying to say I was white. They were trying to say I was a nerd because I was also in different classes than a lot of them because... By the time, you know, you get to junior high and stuff, they start splitting you out, you know, the, put you in different tracks and everything. And I was in the classes with the white kids. Fascinating. So last week um, we had um, Dr. Um, Brian Ego Swara mm -hmm. on the episode. And he was talking about that that idea as to when he got to high school, he was trying to find himself. And it's funny, I, I, I didn't experience this um, growing up. I, I never felt like, um, you know, I, I, did, I had good grades and all that stuff too, but I never felt like an outcast mm -hmm. amongst the black kids, oh, yeah. right? But he was saying how he felt like an outcast, so he had to, he had to seek. Um, uh, I believe it was Hosa. The, or oh, the, sure. The, the, so he had to seek things like that to find the kind of a way to fit in. So how did you, besides beating these kids up now, how did <laughs> how did you find your way to like fit in so, and find your supporting? You community? know what I eventually did. Um, I started 
making myself known by being involved with, at the time we called it double AFL, African-American Student League in high school at least, and eventually went on to become president of it. So it wasn't just, you know, me trying to declare myself, hey, you know, I'm one of you. It's like, no, I want to work with you. We're going to run this organization together. We're going to advocate for ourselves in this in this high school together. And then I also was in a bunch of sports. So, you know, I just started connecting with them personally as opposed to, you know, you know, crying in the corner, acting like, you know, I, I deserved more. Like, no, I got to know a lot of them. We started socializing together, even though we weren't in classes. And so by the end of high school, it wasn't a problem at all. Yeah. And that seems like, and that, that's just a lesson for yeah. real life in general, right? Cause you know, whenever you're trying to figure out how do you get, get along with other people, yeah. you know, sometimes the, the, the first thing is just like, Hey, how can I help you? How can I get engaged with your, you your mission? Really yeah. Yeah. Um, the sports thing I thought was, I, I like that sports thing, yeah. you know, cause I always tell people, um, you know, as a, as a kid, it's easy to get picked on for things. And my last name is a core dude, right? So people don't want to say dude. Like when you're a kid, dude, he, he, he. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, y'all better be quiet now. <laughs> but, but as a, as a kid, there's different ways to do that. Right. And I, I didn't deal with it that much as a child. And I always tell my wife, I think it's because, you know, I play sports, yeah. right? Because the people kind of knew who the people who play mm -hmm. sports were. And, and it's so fascinating. So I tell my kids now, I was like, whenever, and, and the reason I'm saying this, because I know we have some kids who listen to this podcast. So I'm sure some some parents are listening and they know their kids going through this right now or the kids going through it right now right sometimes it's just figuring out what is your yeah. thing and how can you excel at that thing and then make your group of people around that thing and you don't have to mm -hmm. you know you don't have to you don't have to change who you are to make anybody right. like you exactly you know? and and so i never tried to dumb myself down right because i've definitely seen some students that are like that where you know maybe they're not in the classes so they do what they can to get in the classes with the other black students right because my wife did that. You know, my wife. My you're wife on said. these ridiculous tracks that a lot of schools set up. And of course, it gets separated, unfortunately, by race a lot of times. So I've seen students do that. I refuse to do that. Because remember, early on, I knew I wanted to be a physician. So <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to stay in my classes. I'm going to be in these honors classes. I'm going to run everything as much as possible. So then it was, okay, sports. So literally in junior high, I played field hockey, basketball, and softball. And then when I got to high school, oh, and then don't forget, I was also a band nerd. So I was playing the flute <laughs> as early as possible. And then by the time I got to high school, transitioned to the trombone. So then I was also in the color guard and I was captain of the color guard. Cheerleading was the white girls, color guard was the black girls. So I ran the color guard, <laughs> I was in the band. I was still on track and field because I did javelin and shot put in high school. I was your typical pre-med, what a pre-med looks like in high school, basically. <laughs> And you were making all A's. And I was making all A's. <laughs> but, excuse me. But here's the question. Were you good at all of that stuff? Um, or were you just kind of like, here goes average Cammy no, Matthew throwing the javelin five feet? I, I was pretty good. So, yeah, I would I would place in in um, discus, actually. Not so much. Well, no, javelin, I did get a couple of things. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I was captain of the color guard. So I was the one in charge of it. And I was first seat trombone. So yeah, I was better than the other little white boys who got <laughs> mad at me because I came in transitioning from another instrument and then totally jumped over them and took first seat. So yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm the, I'm, that, I'm that girl that everybody hates. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? All right. All right. Uh, I'm me... still where I am right now. So that's all that matters. <laughs> Yeah, let me let me let me take a step back because you said that, um, you know, you were like you said you were you were basically being your typical mm -hmm. pre med even from a yep. young age. 
So you said that you knew you wanted to be a doctor from a young okay. age. When did you know you wanted to be a doctor? And and what what sparked it for you? From I don't remember when I didn't want to be one. Because again, my father oh, well. is a role model. Um, I saw the way he interacted with his patients um, in public. Even when we were on vacation in another state, he would run into someone that he knew. Um, you know, I appreciated that he was a leader uh, in his community and his practice. Um, and that he was helping people. There, there wasn't a time that I didn't want to be a physician, to be honest. Well, fascinating. Any, any, um, so even though you might have wanted to be a physician, any particular stories you remember from childhood that like really maybe um, further inspired you or something? You ever see your dad interact with anybody in a specific oh, yeah. way or you see anything on TV? So one time um, he took me with him to his nursing home where he had some patients that uh, were living there at the time. And, you know, he's an old school family doc that would go visit his patients there. You know, now we have it all segmented where the people, you know, you get taken care of based on your location. That's who your doc is. But, you know, a good family mm -hmm. doc really is about continuity and seeing you no matter what setting you're in, right? So he, he would take us mm -hmm. into the nursing home. And I just remember watching how he could talk with these people, his patients, and just calm them down and help them uh, feel at ease and answer their questions. And I just knew I wanted to be that type of person uh, for someone else. I, I wanted to be their resource, um, someone that they could come to, someone they could cry to, ask questions of, and and really just, you know, be that what we now, you know, uh, of course, equate to that primary care doc. I just wanted to be that that person that they could connect with. Nice, nice. Which, which direction did your, is your sister older? She's younger. younger. She's, a, uh, what, 14 months younger? We're not that far apart. Yeah. I see you guys are close. Uh, what, what does she do? Does she? Ooh, does she not at all. No. <laughs> she went a completely different direction and ended up getting her master's in ancient Egyptian art and archaeology at Oxford. So she's in, she's art history. Yeah. Wow. Say that, overachievers. Yeah, ancient Egyptian art and archaeology from Oxford, which is the number one program, of course, in the world. So, so yeah, she did. She did that, um, and ended up curating some exhibits and the like uh, while she was getting her degrees. Um, and is now, unfortunately, the arts is not always the most stable area, unfortunately. And uh, she's in HR at Wells Fargo now, where a lot of other art history people probably are as well, too. I feel bad saying that. <laughs> but she has got a job and a lovely family and, you know, doing her thing. So nice, nice. Yep. Shout out to your sister. Um, all right. So, uh, we'll, we'll we'll move out of this here in a bit, but so I'm going back to this idea of you being just doing everything while you were mm -hmm. you know, young. So I'm, I'm thinking about other high school overachievers. Yeah, through this yes. time, we all are. Yeah, overachievers. How did you, how how did you balance it? How did you excel at everything? How did you balance it? You know, like, what was the thing? Was it you had to figure out? Time oh, hands down, that's it... the number one answer. I mean, that's that's the most um, relevant piece that I've always been able to manage my schedule, think about what time I need to study and to go to practice and to practice my instrument and to be with my family because we still have family dinner almost every night. Um, you know, and it's really about, you know, 
organizing yourself, organizing your brain about what you need to get done on any given day, but then also any given week, right? Because maybe you need to study more this day because you have practice the next day and you know you won't be able to get to it. I've always been able to, to manage that. Um, I remember one time though, I, and I think this is what drove it home for me that like, whoa, this can never happen. I had to pull an all-nighter for like a school project. And this was early. This was um, like, it was like a diorama. So, you know, you're like in middle school where you have to like put an art project together. So <laughs> it was something ridiculous. And I remember being on the floor in the kitchen and my mother sat up with me. She, you know, that that's just how wonderful my mother always was. And I had to pull an all-nighter because I had postponed, procrastinated all the, the the decisions and putting it together. And I had to pull that all-nighter, pull that diorama together. I have no idea what it was. I, it might have been for a literature class or something. I, it might have been a book we had to make a scene of or something. And I just remember the feeling, my goodness, I just sat up all night to do this in my mind, kind of ridiculous project, right? This isn't like a big final. I am in like junior high pulling all-nighters. I, I remember telling myself, never again, you will plan better than this. And I always have since then. Well, it's a good thing. It's, it's good right. to learn it early rather than, you know, win all this time and then learning it late. Um, question here, other than your sister, who's your, who's your, your best friend as a child? Um, honestly, my, my mother. All right, Kate. Other than my mother, mother. um, you know, I there was a there was a a girl, uh, Nicole, through elementary school, and then we kind of pulled apart by the time we got to junior high, and then there was Abna in high school. It it kind of I didn't have necessarily that one girlfriend, even though I was with the same kids the whole time, elementary through high school, because you know that's just suburban life, but. Um, I didn't have a, a single girlfriend that that acclaimed as best best friend throughout the whole time. Plenty of really good friends, even that I stay in touch with now, um, but not not a single best friend, to be honest. Yeah, because I'm curious to kind of know, you know, what their yeah. influence was on you and what they ended up doing. You know, because I think about, you know, I, I growing up, I got friends who mm -hmm. went every oh, yeah. which way you can imagine. You know, from from the the you know locked oh, yeah. up to whatever success. So I'm curious to know, like, your, your close cir yeah. circle of friends. No, that's a really good question that I've never you. really thought of. So my best friend in high school uh, eventually became a dentist um, and then actually has stepped away from practicing um, and, and is more uh, trying to start a, a separate business. Um, and we go in and out of touch over the years, to be honest. Um, other people are in education, a bunch of other physicians, actually, um, some lawyers. Okay, nice. But these I wouldn't necessarily consider the best friends. You know, and honestly, I'm thinking about the kids that were in my classes. So, yes, a lot of my, my white friends. Oh, the, yeah, a, the AP yeah, a lot of all that. students that have, have really gone far. Um, yeah, I haven't, I didn't maintain like a, a best friend. My best friends are honestly from law school. Like, so it wasn't even, I mean, I had my line sisters and everything from undergrad that, that of course I'm, I'm so close with, but like, I didn't maintain a lot of best, best friends from high school. People I'm really close with and still do dinner with and see them and everything. But I don't, you know, we're not, we're, it, it, it wasn't that big of an influential like relationship that I grew up with, even though we were friends since fifth grade. Man, you just... Cammy, you just said law school. You remind me, we got, we got a lot to talk about. Too. We got not just school, we got law school to talk about too. Um, but but okay, let, let's 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 work our way yeah, out of um, out of yeah. high school now. Okay, so you you know 
you know, did did well in high school. So what was a decision to go to college? Which college did you choose? Why did you? Why did that oh, hands down, I went to the best university in this great country, best second university, best, Duke University in North Carolina. Um, oh, well, okay. Okay, I could almost I could almost get get with you on Duke. I I went to Mizzou for undergrad and, and that's go. called Duke for residence. There residences. you go. So exactly. We had two. that connection. Yeah, no. I um absolutely fell in love with Duke when we visited. So my my parents took us took me on on kind of like a week. Um we swept around, we visited UVA, Georgetown, um and Duke and I got on the campus and and having already really known kind of what uh, the school was academically. Obviously, I visited that campus and said, absolutely, this is it. So I applied early and got in early. I was, I think, the first person in my high school class to get their acceptance in like December of senior year. I remember getting Well, can I, can I, can I age you? Can I, ask um, you I started you in 96. So class of 2000. Class of 96. So was that, was that Elton Burton? Elton was there. Yeah. Like, yeah, he was basketball, there. Duke basketball. He, he was, he was uh, the class, I think, two after me. I think he was talking about me. Okay, Brent. So, but you were, um, yeah, you were, you were after those guys, like, oh, I was like after Hill and those guys that left. They were early. Yeah, they were no, like ninety two, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, all right. So, hey, okay, I can't, I can't argue with, argue with you about that as an undergrad. That is, that is a great place. So, what, what was your, um, what was your, what was your mm-hmm. pre med time like at Duke? Right. So you leave here. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Then let me frame this. So, you're like misses all around in high mm-hmm. school grid everything then you go to duke everybody everybody is exactly. or Mr. all around was there a shock or were you still like man? I <laughs> no you know this. what my shock was was coming in freshman year and absolutely hating chemistry class because you know you come in and you're you're set up in your mind to to do the typical pre-med track because that's all you're really thinking is is the possibility and what blew my mind was i absolutely hated it i was just like this cannot be but i also knew i want to be a doctor i want to be my dad so how's this going to happen so i figured it out early on that i didn't need to be that science major i didn't need to be that science junkie in order one to get into med school but two to be a good physician So I switched up my major, like, my goodness, I think it was first semester. Like, I gave it no time whatsoever and became a public policy major. The Sanford School of Public Policy was was newer at the time. And so that was ethics, poli, sci, leadership classes. And I loved every bit of it. So, you know, I would do my my typical pre-med requirements, right? And it ended up equaling a, a minor in chemistry, but public policy studies. So I actually, you know, learned how to speak and write and do all that non-science, non-typical pre-med stuff. Um, took a year of Japanese as well, too, because my mother is actually Japanese. So, and I had never learned the language. So, you know, I, my mother is, is half Japanese? Japanese, half black. Yes. Okay. That's a, yeah. I, wouldn't have, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed that. Um, two, two questions. What well, one one that really fascinates me more, actually, just now you were talking, mm-hmm. you said you wanted to be your dad. I'm thinking about that because you would think a lot of times, um, you know, because we talk about this idea about, you know, black boys yeah. need to see black yeah. men in medicine. Right. And we talk about black um, mm-hmm. girls need to see black women in medicine. But tell me a little bit. It doesn't have to be a black boy. Seeing a, first of all, it could be any race. Mm-hmm. I, I always want to make sure I'm clear about this thing. I'm not one of those people that says you got to be black to help somebody. You know, color right. aside, I think anybody can help anybody. Um, 
However, though, I, I do think it's fascinating. You just said yeah. you want it to be your dad. So can, can you talk a little bit I'm about so that? I'm so glad you pointed that out. About... I'm so glad you pointed that out. Yeah. So I've always been daddy's little girl, even though if you remember when you said earlier, who's your best friend? I still say my mom. I'm really close to both of them. But, you know, from a professional standpoint, my role model was my father, hands down. And I really do credit that to the fact that my parents never raised my sister or I with any short sort of gender expectations whatsoever. It was always, what would you like to do? Let's figure out how to get there. Um, and so there was never, in my mind, a distinction, oh, my father as a male, you know, that's what men do, that's what boys do. And my mother over here, this is what I should mirror. Um, it was no, my father is doing something I'm interested in. So therefore I want to go for it as well. Yeah. Interesting. I think that's important yeah. for people to hear. Right. Yeah. Um, again, I think a lot of times we end up putting, mm -hmm. we have self-imposed limitations and restrictions that, yeah. you know, need not be there. And I think you're, just, you know, you, you're pretty much saying here, I had this person here that I could look up to in a certain way. It didn't have to be what other people it didn't have to be the way exactly. that people would tell me exactly i think i think we do limit ourselves at times like you just said um by trying to find someone that we mirror exactly especially from a physical standpoint right and that's because so much of what we do I, you know i can't deny the importance of that as well too because so much of what we do is also through the perception of other people right so i would be perceived as a young black woman so therefore i need to learn how to interact with those perceptions right and definitely um learned a lot of that from my mother learned a lot of that from from other women in my life um, but then when it comes down to my personal interest, my personal drive, there's no need for that to be limited by, not that it's a limitation, but it doesn't need to be limited to only seeing that drive, only mirroring that drive in other black women. I can get that from anyone who I have exposure to. And that's the true, that's the true point of a role model. I love it, man. I love it, love it, love it. Um, other question based on what you were saying a second ago is yeah. you said you hated chemistry. I'm curious. Like, did I did. I hated it back then school? too, but I, <laughs> I honestly thought it was more, I couldn't stand my teachers in high school. Oh, I couldn't stand them. But I was also that, that, that jerk of a student that like would point out stuff to my teachers. Oh, but you said that wrong. Oh, but on page such and such, the answer is actually here. I was a little bit of a jerk in class. Um, but that was because for me, it was, you know, you're teaching me, I need to feel as if you know something more than me, and I'm not really getting that from you. <laughs> I'm going to call you out, you know, so I, you I out was a little it. bit of a jerk. But this, remember, this is also a little girl that was swinging on the school bus. So, you know, I was, I'm, I'm a little testy. I'm a little testy even to this day. So, yeah. So then, you know, I knew I didn't like science as much, but I just thought, oh, I'm just limited. You know, I, I feel like there's so much more that I can learn. And, you know, that's often the case when you get to a college level class, right? It's, it's, a, it's a deeper level of understanding. It's a, a, a different type of teaching. And so I was expecting that to change a bit when I got to Duke and then that chemistry class, even though very famous professor at the time, he's since passed, but pretty much generations of pre-meds that have gone through Duke undergrad took his chemistry class. Professor Bonk, you know, they call it Bonkistry at some point just because he's so well renowned. Um, absolutely, you know, in got A's, you know, didn't have a problem with it, respected him. But I was what really it, it, I hated it in the sense that I couldn't see, I think, and I might be putting words into my own head now, but I couldn't see patients from it, right? I'm, I'm looking at chemistry, I'm looking at molecules, but I don't see how 
I, as a physician, was going to be framed from that information. I wanted to get to the real bread and butter of what it was to be a physician. So it just it just felt very sciencey with a Y. Like I was just like, it's too sciencey for me. Like me, <laughs> I know, but I was like, let me get science-y. to let me get to practicing medicine. And I mean, we also know this, right? We practice medicine now. Science is very different from medicine. You need to understand and practice and and implement science in order to practice medicine. But those are two different things. Um, medicine is an art, right? So, yeah, so, you know, I was early on making those so, distinctions. So, uh, and so you did well like in the yeah, class, I got you just didn't like the class. Okay, so, 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 and that's, that's yes. something also that's, that's important for people to recognize, right? Some people I think don't yeah. do well so they think they don't like it, but you know, mm-hmm. you, you did well, you just didn't like it. And instead of staying in something that you didn't like, you said, hey, I'm going to use my Mm -hmm. undergrad time wisely and do something that I actually like. Pre-med listening, y'all need to y'all need to hear that. Don't you don't have to major in a science if if you don't like it, you know, do do your whatever, do your pre-med. Remember, though, let me let me speak to you directly as pre-meds. Please remember that there is so much that you can learn and implement. in your non-science classes is that in your non-science classes that you can implement as a physician. Again, you learn how to speak, you learn how to write, you learn how to reason, you learn, you know, analytical skills that you're not typically learning in a science uh, setting uh, or a different type of analyticals, right? I mean, it's it's just a different skill set. And I, I think we as physicians are better when we're more well-rounded, to be honest. So yeah, I, I totally promote pre-meds, even if it's not a, a, an entirely different major change like I did. Take different classes. Take some business classes. Take, of course, another language, another couple of languages. I mean, we are we need to have an understanding of the world in which we practice and the world in which our patients live. And that is not limited to science. So hardest part of undergrad, what was your biggest challenge in undergrad? Um, Probably my biochemistry class. <laughs> uh, that was when I really needed to figure out how to study. And, you know, that's something, unfortunately, some students even struggle with by the time they get to med school, right? They haven't figured out their own skill set of, of what they need, how to study and everything. But biochemistry just knocked me off my feet. It was, I, I just couldn't understand it. I couldn't study it. And so I really needed to focus. I failed an exam. And and so I learned a lot about myself that semester. I only did one semester of it, thank goodness. But um, so what, so what, uh, did that, what did that feel like when you failed the exam? Because I'm guessing you probably had Never. I had it. <laughs> I think the worst grade I got in high school was gym class. Even though I was supposedly a bit, no, I, was, I won't call myself <laughs> an athlete. I was on some sports teams. I wasn't as good as an athlete. But either way, um, I think it was humbling. Uh, you know, anytime you have that problem uh, where, again, you've, you've come to this university being top of your class, right? And everyone around you was also top of their class. And then you get into this, this one course and you think you're smart enough to just read and absorb the information. You think you can go into an exam and, and you've attended all the classes and you think like maybe it was in high school that it was a bit osmosis like, um, but it was not at all. I needed to really learn and understand the subject matter. And I wasn't getting that from just my, my typical 
study pattern prior to then. So I had to, I had to change up. I had to change the way I was reading. I had to change the way I was reviewing the information, change the way I was listening in lectures. By the time I got to med school though, I, that was when I realized I don't need to go to lectures because that's actually a waste of time for me, but that's a totally different subject. So how did you, how did you figure out how to change it up? Did you figure it out on your own? Did you go get help? Like, how did you, how did you get to the point to say, okay, I, mm-hmm. I need to redo this here. I did do it on my own. I did, however, take advantage of office hours. So when there was a subject matter, um, which actually was most of it, (laughs) when there was something that I really didn't understand where, you know, I, I, I might've just been glossing over it. Like, Oh, that's so hard. You know, you like, you even try to compensate, right. That's so hard. He'll never ask that question. Right. Like, cause I don't need to understand that. He, he didn't even focus on it a lot in the, in lecture or whatever. And then it wound up being on the test. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, I would go to office hours and really dig in and, and ask questions and get them to explain over and over and over again. Um, and then realized that I was more of a visual learner. That was when I first started acknowledging that I need to see diagrams. I need to take my notes and somehow transform them up on this whiteboard, this blackboard in, in one of the you know buildings that we studied in. So I, I would find a classroom. So me just looking at a book, studying notes wasn't enough. I needed to turn it into some sort of visual mm-hmm. um, study. And so that, that was when I started switching up how I actually was physically studying. And, and that, that was when I realized early on, although I didn't implement it again until I got to med school, I'm visual and not audio. So if I'm listening in a lecture, I don't absorb it. Like how many times would I leave lecture and be like, I have no idea what they just talked about, even though I just sat and paid attention the whole time, <laughs> I wasn't absorbing it. And so, you know, that's just how my brain works. So figuring that out, I, I really did change up. Um, th- so throughout your undergrad, and I know we'll, we'll, we'll move along to the med school law school, but, um, so throughout your undergrad times, was was diversity ever? Uh, by all oh, means, um, no. Oh, I wasn't, for some reason, no, I wasn't. By all that. means, was no. um, okay. race was an issue, um, and this was, I think, quite pivotal, and and that's why I I, I absolutely love and recommend the book, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria, right, by Dr. Beverly Daniel Tatum. Um, I Mm -hmm. literally, through the Mm -hmm. four years at Duke, went through every stage that she describes in that book, where I came in my freshman year, I damn near wanted to start a Black Panther chapter. I was like, I don't need these white people around me. I don't, I need to identify. And I solely sought out the other Black students, the other Black freshmen, and only only communicated with them. I didn't communicate with anybody in my classes. I saw them, but it was the total opposite. Yeah, pretty much. It was Cami. It was total opposite of high school where, you know, I I did socialize with with the other kids in my classes at Duke. I was just like, I am just here for studies. My social world are the black people. And that's who that's all I communicated with. But then I I started to um, learn more about myself. Uh, started some women's studies classes, so learned about an even broader topic beyond just race, because really hadn't studied gender in high school. That's not typically something that that gets addressed. And um, by my senior year, was really starting to value a broader sense of diversity, also a broader 
definition of who I saw myself to be just because I'm black doesn't mean I have to surround myself with black people. I can have white friends and not have to question my own identity or be fearful that other people are questioning my identity like I did when I was younger, right? So I went through all of those stages over those four years and, and really, I think, came out with a mature sense of this is me, love it or leave it, kind of. Um, and and that can be as a Black person, as a Black woman, as a Black woman who wants to be in medicine. You know, I, I started being able to carve out um, my own identity. And, and it was later when I actually read that book that it just blew my mind that I, I literally... I was literally the, the poster that was me. For, for the the phases that she described. Yeah. Any um we'll move into med school after this question, but um any stories, any any memorable stories you can tell about your time in undergrad that were that was really, really impactful for you. It could be funny or it could be um, something that was like a wow see. moment for you. Um <laughs> I think it was my was it my junior yeah it had to be my junior year I was president of our NAACP chapter because of course you know I was all in and you know trying to do the political thing and this was when we were protesting the state of South Carolina because they still had the Confederate flag as their state flag and you know at Duke everybody goes to Myrtle right for those of you who don't live around there it's Myrtle Beach but people just call it Myrtle and everyone after the end of classes goes to Myrtle, the white students, the black students, everybody, but you know, everybody kind of sticks to their own group and everything. It's not all big and rosy and diverse when you get there. Like the black kids go to one side and the white kids go to the other side, it doesn't matter. But what we were able to implement, and I actually got the Duke student government to approve it and everything, was that Duke uh, that year in order to protest the state of North Carolina would not take its dollars to Myrtle. And we instead, all of us white and black students went to Virginia Beach that year. And that to me was like the biggest highlight because I was speaking to everybody. I spoke to every student organization on campus. I was like, we have to do this. We cannot support this state. This is major money that we're taking into the state from a tourism standpoint. We we have to take a stance on this. And and the whole I'm sure there were some students that still went, but at least um, from a political stance standpoint, the student body made a different decision that year. So that was that was a pretty major highlight for me. That's interesting. And that that was the student body. It wasn't it was uh, a student it wasn't body. Duke yeah. as an institution. It was a student body. That's, that's interesting. Um, all right. Um, MCAT challenges there. Do we skip um, the MCAT or is there? You know, MCAT honestly, it's, it was just as challenging as it was for everyone. As I, I would say, I think my biggest challenge was not being well prepared on the day of and drinking two cups of coffee before I went in there. So I had to go to the bathroom the entire biology section and knew I was going to bomb that test because I wasn't paying attention because I had to pee so much. I did okay though. <laughs> I ended up doing okay. But that that like drove the point home that you know your testing environment it is not just about studying, it's about studying. It's it's about your mentality and your preparation on the day of cuz I I just did it completely wrong. It was it was so horrible, but I I wound up okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, okay. So, I'm excited to get into this part. So, um as an undergrad, did you know you were going to No, no. So I thought that I was going to get 
I know I wanted to do something in leadership. I think it was when I was applying to medical school. That's when someone introduced the idea of public health, right? And and so many of our colleagues have gotten degrees in public health now as well, too. It's it's a good um, it's a good additional field to really get a good perspective, right, on on either community or international, global health, or or uh, health policy in some of the public health schools. So I, I thought I was going to do that but knew I wanted to do something more than just clinical practice. So at one point in undergrad, I think I was even uh, discussing with an advisor about an MBA program as well too, but didn't really have any formal plans until I got to med school. And what, what well, okay, we'll get there in a second. Johns Hopkins. So uh, med school, where'd you go to med school? Johns Hopkins. So, Yes, she was, and she was mad at me that I did not come to Duke Med. I think I burnt that bridge until later. (laughs) Like, I think I eventually went back to her and just apologized. But yeah, she she was trying to get me there so hardcore. She got me a scholarship and everything, and I still went to Johns Hopkins. I just didn't want to stay in North Carolina. I was trying to get to a real city. I'm a city girl. Why is that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my wife... um, I love Dallas, so you know we live in Dallas now, and I wouldn't go. To me, Dallas is easily the number one city in America. Um, shout out to UT Southwestern, where I'm at right now, too. But um, I would, you know, not for that. I would have strongly oh, considered God. staying in Durham. Yep. I liked, I liked the quietness and everything. Absolutely. Like that. My wife was. No, my wife was I'm, like, I'm such a city not. girl. I'm, <laughs> I, I don't here. understand when you open up windows. There's no like sirens. Like, what is that? Like, I need to know that, like, you know, our, our tax <laughs> dollars are paying for services out there. No, like, no, Durham was just, it was just too small. I was trying to get to a big city and then Hopkins accepted me. And I said, oh, uh, I think I, I think I should go there. Um, did you get, a, did you get a good, did you get as nope, good of a not at all. financial Still package went. as you did, as you did to Duke? Um, but then, you know, wow. there was also, there's so much more going in. You remember, there's so much more going into your decision about what medical school you went to. And I truly, truly connected with the SNMA students um, that I met um, on my interview day and subsequent conversations. And I just felt like I was joining a group of people that I connected with at Hopkins. Our SNMA chapter was hardcore, it still is. Um, and so that in and of itself uh, really superseded uh, any financial issues for me because I figured I'll pay, I'll pay off the loans. I'll pay it off. Oh, you know what? That's good. When, when did you? Um, I pledged my senior um, year. Um, I was spring 2000. Pledge? Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Yes. Okay, did that well? I guess it was your senior year, so you kind of, I guess, yeah. I guess you could say you kind of yeah. made it through. Yeah, different I, parts I took of the MCAT junior year, and and, and that was that. actually the reason why I didn't sneak out Delta my junior year because I was studying for the MCAT. So <laughs> I I planned it purposefully and was like, okay, I want to do it in undergrad. I'm going to seek it out my senior year because junior year I have to apply to med school. Uh, so the med school part. So normally I would ask you. Normally I ask people I say what made you choose your your field. But you 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 mm-hmm. you coming in. You were so. Let me ask you. Let me ask it to you this way then. Um, was there nothing that that lured you away from family medicine? Was there something else that tempted you and made you say maybe I should do this instead of? No, my you life, know my honestly, I that? loved every rotation. And if you ask most family docs, you'll probably get the same response. Um, and so that really almost affirmed every rotation that I wanted to be in family medicine because I could do a little bit of everything as a family doc. Um, OB-GYN absolutely loved it, but you know, totally something obviously that family docs do. 
absolutely loved psychiatry, but I do a hell of a lot of behavioral health, especially, you know, we'll get into my different jobs as an actual doc, but working in correctional medicine and now Veterans Affairs, that's all I do, behavioral health, right? Um, surgery, we do a little bit of that. We do office procedures. I mean, I um, love being that outpatient doc that um, is, is able to help navigate patients into the health system. So that never wavered. I um, had uh, further, 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 exactly. further affirmed exactly. what you thought. To I mean, the, the like, tough yeah. part, of course, is Hopkins is, is one of single digit universities without a Department of Family Medicine. Um, and I, I purposefully knew uh, I was I applying to family that. medicine, even though I went there. And I figured I'll learn family medicine as a resident. I want to go to the best university where I feel most fit in. And uh, that ended up being Jazz Hopkins. So I, I told myself yet again, no one's going to sway me. I even had faculty members that said, why would you choose that? And I just kind of bat that down. I was like, um, the majority of the globe actually practices family medicine. You're just focused in your own little academic world here. I'm going to stay on my path. But thank you for your input. See you in class. You know, that, I mean, that's how I, I just kind of brushed it off. Um, and no, that is true. You, yeah. you definitely get those pressures of people trying to pressure you into a special. Even when, so I, you know, I went internal medicine, and then for a while I was going to go. Um, mm. I was going to go to business school and do all this stuff instead of sub specializing. And I remember people asked me, they were like, "No, you're not going to do that. You're going to sub specialize." Like, watch that. You're going to sub, and they would always kind of put that in your ears, almost mm -hmm. like they didn't, because that's when you know hospital medicine was a thing. But now hospital medicine is like so much more popular than it was even when I finished, and. People just always want to push you down a certain right. right. path. Yeah, I, um, even when way, I was you know? uh, really making the decision to apply to law school, um, I even had a, I wouldn't consider him a mentor, but someone I talked to uh, who completely bat down the idea. And I even just knew as he was saying it, it was very negative in the conversation on the phone. I said, okay, you wouldn't have done it, but that doesn't mean it's not a good idea for me. So, you know, I've always uh, been able to really filter um, what advice people are giving me. Yeah, that's big. I can tell you stories, man. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the same. I can tell you so many things people told me not to do <laughs> that, that you got to bring up the courage and just not listen because you know, what's, what's right for either your mission or for, yeah. or for you. So what did make you want to go into law? I know you, it sounds like yeah, as an undergrad, definitely. you already were so, somewhat on that. <laughs> path with lucked out. Um, I was probably procrastinating more than I normally do my first year of medical school, um, but knew that I didn't want to do what the other students were doing, which was research, right? That your last summer after your first year. And so uh, was really trying to reach out for oh, yeah. anything in health policy. And even students now, they you really don't know where to look for a health policy job, right? Or experience or let alone a summer internship. Um, so got connected with, uh, I, I still can't believe it to this day, got connected with someone who helped place medical students on Capitol Hill. Um, you know, I, I guess people knew I was kind of the public policy background and connected me with this one mentor. Uh, and it was, it was pretty late in the spring. I think it was even March, April. And, and she said uh, she usually already places her students at that point, but she was impressed by our conversation. She was impressed that I came to the meeting so well prepared. I had my resume, had a writing sample, I had everything. You know, I, I didn't know what I was walking into. I didn't realize that it actually turned into an interview. 
and she got me a position. Um, so as a medical student, I wasn't just an intern, I was a fellow in Senator Orrin Hatch's office. He was the ranking Republican on the um, Judiciary Committee oh, at wow. the time. So I worked on the Hill. And I mean, it wow. opened. And what is that? What what is that work? Yeah, so all let's time. see. So you're you you're taking time. meetings. I was taking meetings with constituents, so people who were in town, or either constituents or organizations, health systems. So like either direct voters or anyone else who wanted to talk to the congressman, if, a senator, if there was a specific topic that was interest, I would sit in those meetings. And by the end of the summer, I was taking those meetings by myself. Um, I helped draw up a lot of talking points and yeah. communications around stem cell research because he was the ranking Republican to come out in favor of stem cell research, which a lot of other conservatives equate to abortion, if you remember that conversation back then. So him doing that, he really wanted someone by his side with a healthcare background, even though I was a first year medical student, to help him carve out how he should be talking about it in public. So I helped him write it up. I would attend a lot of meetings and, and learn more about, um, let's see, they were writing up the Patients' Bill of Rights, which was the predecessor to the predecessor of the predecessor of the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, learning and taking meetings with other congressmen. I remember being in a meeting, he was good friends with Senator Kennedy. I went to a meeting with the both of them. I mean, these are like unbelievable leaders, right, on, on the Hill and got to sit in a lot of those meetings. Um, so for me, it was just eye-opening to see how our government works, to see how the Senate side works. Cause I would go to the House side. House side, you know, you're running for office every two years. It's a little different. It's definitely, there's not as much camaraderie but, and you can even see that in the House now, but in the Senate side, you're in there for six years. It's also a bunch of really rich, typically old white men. So they get along really yeah. well, you know, it's different. But you know, there's a different vibe. <laughs> I was very welcome. No, wait, 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 very were you welcome, welcome there? Um, the senator not... even was on a daily basis. He kept dropping something like Cameron. Oh, you know, the Republican Party will be great for you. He was trying to recruit me. I was like, Senator, thanks so much. Let's focus on stem cells. Let's focus on these stem cells. Um, no, it was it was an unbelievable opportunity. By the end of the summer, um, I was questioning whether, you know, finishing medical school was right for me. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. I love this government stuff. And then I was like, oh, but I'm not coming here to be a staffer. No, I need my medical degree. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna just take these meetings. If anything, I wanna run for office and I'm not gonna be able to do that, you know, without getting more advanced uh, education. So that was my first summer. Second year, you know, your head down, right? In your classes and everything I knew. Exactly. I knew I needed to, yeah, to get figure out, though, what direction. And I still at that point thought it was the School of Public Health. Um, eventually did some research my third year, got a, a research um, grant through National Medical Fellowships, NMF, who I don't know, you know, they're phenomenal and big now. They kind of died oh. off in the middle there, but I was one of, in one of their original programs and did a research. Yeah. Uh, not were you really? Not original, original, but earlier, like, like you know, because they closed for not, a little bit, they, or they just kind of went dormant. And so okay. Dr. Neil Poe, who's out in California now, was my mentor for the project, um, and Ebony Bulware, who's who's um, phenomenal in, in kidney work now as well, too. Like, these were my mentors back there when I was a medical student. So I'm in the middle of this unbelievable research looking at trust in healthcare and looking at it, race and other social determinants of health. And I still couldn't stand it, Dale. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like why I would want to be, a, why I wanted to be a physician. And I still can't stand this research. So I talked with a mentor of mine 
And I'm like, I don't like this. This is, you know, this would be exactly the topic that I would want to focus on. I don't like this. She was like, you loved public policy. I was like, yeah. She was like, you loved working on the Hill. I said, yeah. She was like, why don't you go to law school? And that literally had never popped in my mind until she asked that question. And I was like, I'm in medical school. I I just thought she was crazy. And she was like, no, go to law school. (laughs) I literally had my applications mailed in two days. That's how quick I did it. Wow, man. I mean, so that's no, a real. I couldn't believe it. Okay, so did my you third finish med school first? Moved out do... to Chicago, went to okay. University of Chicago, then came back for fourth year Hopkins, and then moved back to Chicago for residency. All right, and then when you were, because you were, yeah. when I, I was, was I don't president know you, of SNMA when I was, when I was in law school, SNMA, um, national. Yep. Okay, so that was during your law school time. All right. Um, well, that's 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 really fascinating. Now, let me ask this question because some people listening are going to wonder, right? So, when you go out to law school, <laughs> it was a few years, come back I didn't to medicine. know anything. I didn't when remember anything. I mean, you know, I, I I definitely did not keep up with any reading or studying or anything. But, um, you know, it helped me focus in because remember as well, a lot of what you're learning your first and second year is good background, it's good knowledge, but you're not entirely applying it right on a day to day basis. So I would study for my rotations like you normally do in medical school. I needed yeah, to do a little bit more background reading to maybe remember some of the pathophys or, or pharmacology or whatever. Um, you know, I think my residents also took it a little easy on me as a fourth year student because remember, I was coming back three years later. So my residents had actually been my classmates. <laughs> so they were all like Cam's back, let her, let her be, let her go study. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, y'all better not talk crazy to me. I'm still yeah, no, they, they, I think my residents took it easy. They knew I was older and everything. And, you know, I, I just focused and studied. It wasn't an easy year at all, but it's completely possible. So okay, so going into law, and I'm, I'll, I'll move this along fast because we're mm-hmm. we're getting up there in time, and I want to yeah. you know want to get a couple other things. But going into law school, none, um, none whatsoever. What we're gonna do um, on the backside of that. It is so you so you're a lot of your life is kind of like I'm gonna go serendipity is the most the feeling is, world ever. Yes, I just I go in a direction. I go based on my gut. I go acknowledging like for law for me, even though I knew I didn't want to practice law in a law firm sort of setting, I knew that I wanted to be a better advocate for my patients. I knew that maybe I wanted to get in government in some way. At that point, I was still probably really interested in running for office. Not anymore, to be honest. But, you know, I think there was a general understanding that this law degree is going to take me in the right direction. I don't need to know what the specifics around that are at this point, but the law degree is going to open up doors more than anything, which it does even to this day. So um, I just knew I wasn't going to be like a practicing lawyer, like at a firm, but I knew I was going to be a doctor with a legal education. That's how I defined it. Personal, so, All right. so, so I, I'm gonna get a little personal. So, which I have a second, by the way, I'm, I'm loving black men and white coats. Don't get me might... wrong, but I'm loving that you're 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 letting you're opening up the doors for us a little bit. Thank you. <laughs> oh no, that's been the that's been the plan from day one. People say, "What about?" That's, yep. that's literally been the plan from day one. We just have to address that that missionary. Um, so people got young woman might hear this and they might say. Um, mm-hmm. 
man, how does she do all that? What about starting the family, getting married, kids, all that stuff? And she went to, um, you know, undergrad for four years, um, uh, med school for four years, law school for four years, and there's going to be a residency in there and all that and mm-hmm. all that. And then she has to figure out what she wants to do with that MDJD. Like, what is your thoughts? What What were your thoughts along the journey about your family? Like, you know, what, honestly, you I had concerns, sure, what, but what it had like? nothing to do with limitations around my career. It was more, was I going to find my partner? Was I going to find the right person? And, you know, if that person showed up in college or med school or law school or residency, I was going to figure, I was just going to make it work. We would get married. We would, you know, start a family. And if I needed to pause something at some point, I would make it work. That that was always in my plan. So I didn't hesitate. I dated like crazy and everything. It just so happened, you know, I didn't find my now husband until uh, my current job. So we've been married now two years. I found him when I was 39. So, you know, I ended up, but I was dating. I had long-term relationships. I had you know, um, social life, uh, you know, I would say parallel to anybody else. Um, you, you have to, it, it goes back to that original point of time management and you have to factor in your social life and your dating scenario and meeting, you know, possible partners just as much as you might factor in going to the gym one day or studying the next, you know? Um, but yeah. Let me, let me ask you this. So, did it, did you ever get that thing about? Because I hear I hear um, you know I hear black women will talk about I don't know if it's black women I don't know who says it but you know people have that general idea of when you're so highly accomplished you're a black oh I know woman, medical doctor oh yeah I knew um, you were gonna lawyer, say that and I actually had a black woman find somebody on your an level. old an elder like uh, had to be in her seventies I was at some event it might have been NMA one year and it was there was one other young person like me and then three elders and we were standing in a small circle and we were just talking about our background and our interests and and I must have described what I wanted to do with my career and where I was going and one of the black women the elders stopped and just said you know you're never going to find a husband (laughs) and I just kind of stopped and I was just like well, yeah, it's hard. You know, like I didn't, I didn't, you know, break down or anything, but it definitely hit me and it definitely weighed on my mind for quite some time. I hate to say it because you look at a lot of really prosperous women out there, they don't get married. They don't have the family. And, you know, I look at that as, as a ridiculous outcome, to be honest, because why should men have to do it? And and why should men be able to do it and not women? But the reality, of course, especially as a black woman, yes, that it 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 sat on my mind for years. Trust me. But yeah. So that's a real. I I, I mean I understand that. I think it's I think it's silly in the sense. Well, I think it should I, I be definitely silly. had a I mean, handful get, of guys I that I, I dated well, over I probably, the years break up with really me um, because they couldn't handle my success. Outright. Outright. I can name three of them right now. I'm not going to do it because that would be bad. Do you, but yes. you really think that's what it was? Hands down. Hands down. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't don't do that. I don't want that problem. But, In um, fact, they told me. So you're confident that that's the reason? Oh, wow. Interesting. Well, so I don't know. I, I hear those things and I was wondering. I mean, I can. It, it makes sense that it could be mm-hmm. the case, but I've always wondered, like, is that what? I mean, but, you know, and and then the, there's even know, if it's not it's the success. Oh, but you're going to be making more money than me. Like, get over yourself for real. But I mean, that's a reality as well too. There are men, 
in this generation and younger who have a problem with women who either are more successful or make more money or both. And, you know, for me that I'd rather just be on my own than, than, you know, have to limit what I'm doing or act as if, you know, all that I've achieved or the money that I'm making isn't just as good as what my partner might be making. Like that to me is just ridiculous. Yeah, that's absolutely. I when um mm-hmm. when I after residency, I I went to fellowship. My wife just went into practice. She's family medicine also, so she was making significantly more money than I was. And I remember we were going to look for um, a place to live and fill out the applications. I remember one of the land. It's actually the place we ended up choosing to live. But I remember the right. landlord just looking at me and laughing. It's like <laughs> your wife makes more Why money. Why is that than not you. a good thing? Like, <laughs> what are you I mean, about, um, exactly. I mean, that happened every like, day, shopping for the house no. that we bought a couple years ago now. Um, you know, we walked in with the realtor and everything. And, of course, they're looking right at my husband. And I'm looking at them like, um, excuse me. <laughs> He's like, no, you better talk to her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, so, all right. So tell, tell, tell people a little bit about, so long story short, you know, we're going to have to bring this to a closure, but I want to, I want people to hear how you ended up tying all that into what you're doing today for your career. Right. So long journey, you've done a lot of stuff. You know, if I could rehash, so we've got young Kemi Matthews. She's, um, (laughs) she's very well rounded. She's feisty. If you mess with her, she'll call you out. She, she knows how to um, handle multiple things at one time. She's got this interest for law, but has always had the dream of being a family medicine doctor lives her life based on serendipity. I love that summary. What does that bring you to today Um, and what you're doing professionally? I am currently chief medical officer for the Veterans Health Administration. And so that in and of itself still blows my mind. I'm still incredibly humbled that uh, they, they, they thought that I could rise to the occasion to help lead this, this massive healthcare system. Um, (laughs) <laughs> Chief Medical so Officer again and Assistant Undersecretary for Health for Clinical Services for the Veterans Health Administration. So I am. <laughs> it is so the largest healthcare system. Big in the country. Yes, we've be got 170 facilities. Right. So, so long story short, you're you're one of the highest level <laughs> yes. healthcare executives in probably the world, but definitely the country. Right, which is why, which is why the beginning. I was like, man, we might. Yeah, no, trust me, I I passed my FBI check, so I'm good. Um, but no, the the role is um transformative. To be honest, as a healthcare system, um, you know, we're we're part of the federal government, and the federal government comes with its typical bureaucracy and structure. And so, at the central office, VHA. Veterans Health Administration has always been organized like a government agency, while then the rest of the healthcare system, the rest of the facilities, of course, are set up like a healthcare system should be uh, with appropriate sort of not just hierarchy, but management structure. So what we're transforming now is how VACO interacts, the VA central office VACO, how we interact with the field. Um, We're deploying Cerner, which is massive, and I'm the functional champion for that. I don't want to get. Oh yeah, we already deployed the first site. Like September. the podcast, but is that really going to happen? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I'm going out to Spokane, the first site, uh, in uh, next right. week to to meet with some of the docs and see how it's going. Um, 
and 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 we're transforming into a high reliability organization, which a lot of other healthcare care systems, you know, are, are well advanced in. So we just have a lot of transformation, and I'm just excited to be a part of it. I think the conversation about race and and injustice over the last year has also been eye-opening because we're we're of course looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion within VA as well as VHA, you know, both the larger agency and the health administration. And I'm a part of that conversation. So it's exciting. It's exciting to be a clinician to help make decisions to to frame healthcare for this this integrated health system, but then to also look at this as a policymaker um, and to use my my leadership experiences. And yes, you know, even at times my law degree to, you know, not to practice law, but to have that legal um, and analytical frame of mind on how we approach problems and, and develop new programs and, and, and really transform again. Like I said, we're, we're eager to be turning in this direction. So honestly, eager for the new administration, eager for our new secretary, um, who I'll be working with closely. So it's, this has been a fun career and, and it's nowhere near over yet. I still pretty early in my career. I know you just starting that. That is amazing, man. That, that you know, I just want to say thank you for doing this podcast. Cause I, cause you know, this is very, it's a very unique story and just for people to hear, you know, kind of the thought yeah. process, how you went along that journey and to end up at that position. That's yeah. crazy. Okay. Well, it's really not crazy. It makes sense when you hear it. Right. Yeah. But but from the outside looking, um, a couple of things I'd like for you to do real fast. So I'm going to ask you to give some advice to people at different different stages. So what would you tell? Oh, I love it. The, uh, uh, high school and below students who might yeah. be interested in medicine. So for high school and, students, and, and, I would um, definitely recommend sentences. that you look for a college experience that is going to one get you well rounded, but two also get you prepared uh, from an academic standpoint. To, for the study of medicine. And um, you have to choose the right college so that you can be on the right path to enter medical school. I'm not saying what college that could be. It could be a community college, um, but you, and I'm sorry, my dog is in the background, making noise. <laughs> you know, it, it's about, it's, exactly. It's about choosing a path that is gonna prepare you best. Shout out to the dog. Not choosing it for the sports or the social life or whatever, but look at where those graduates are going from that school. Um, and see if that's something that that fits your interest. But choosing the right college is a critical step early in high school. Yeah. All right. Two sentences. What would you tell the for my college, college students and, out there? I uh, I definitely recommend college. again that you be as broad based as possible, and that means in your experiences in your classes, but that also means outside of class. So, what organizations are you working with? Um, what sort of experiences are you exposing yourself to? All of that is going to make you a well-rounded uh, physician when you get here. And so really broaden your horizons, as, as cliche as that phrase is, broaden your horizons as much as possible. College is, is such a wonderful um, learning lab sort of environment. So, so try out everything um, and, and really expose yourself to as much as possible. And for our med students out there, just hold on. The uh, you are going. <laughs> I hate to say, it like, I was miserable as a resident. <laughs> I was pretty miserable, I think, as a medical <laughs> student too. I I think what you have to realize is that um, a lot of your misery is just due to the fundamental, I would say, structure of what medical school education is and and what your graduate education is going to look like. Um, 
I was miserable enough that I didn't think I was going to practice medicine. I just kept telling myself, I have law. I'll, that'll be my backup. This is just so miserable. I'm going to finish. I'm not going to, you know, step away. That makes no sense, but I'll go to law. Finally, when I started practicing medicine, then I was outside of that educational infrastructure. I actually started to enjoy it. I love it. I love working with patients. So really that frustration that you're feeling, that discomfort, um, it unfortunately comes with the territory. Hold on. We'll try to change medical education. We're all out here trying to do that as well. Um, but yeah, just hold on. Awesome. Now, uh, so um, Cameron, I'm going to ask you to say, my name is Dr. My name Cameron, is Dr. Matthews, Cameron Matthews, and, and I am a black, black woman, woman in a white coat. Got here. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode, Dr. Cameron Matthews. Thank you so very much. Oh, one last thing. Shout out. So um, what handles do you have for <laughs> diversity? I got to get You better get them. Yes. Tour for diversity in medicine is for diversity, and that's the number yeah. four. So T-O-U-R for diversity. Uh, we're all over Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, please follow us. Uh, we've got great programming coming up actually in a couple of weeks. Sure. Yeah. So on Twitter and well, basically just Twitter is Dr. Cam Lee. So D-R-K-A-M-L-E-I-G-H. Um, the same on Instagram, but then I also have my, my public Instagram page, which is T for D underscore Dr. Matthews, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-S. Exactly. So y'all go follow, like, tweet, share, whatever we do on social media, go check them out on all that stuff. Listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode. It's been a phenomenal episode. I'm so happy we finally got this one done. Um, you guys know where to con connect with me. So diversemedicine.com for the pre-meds, premedmondays.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Google, uh, iTunes, whatever it is you guys listen to nowadays, right? I'm on them band like a daddy, yeah. Only do it like flogger, yeah. I'm kicking flavor, no saga, yeah. Hey, I like them blues. I might go Janet like Jackson. I got the margin, yeah. It's all about progression. Life is like a blessing. Everything a win, loss is like a lesson. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, ain't no time for stressing. I've been really stepping. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, if you wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Black men, white yeah. coats, here we up right now.